This episode was some of the wildest, weirdest Star Wars between the flashbacks and the world between worlds and star whales. A younger me might have been put off by these space whales because that doesn't really make much sense. But <laughs> it's a lot of fun, right? Yes. everyone to Krypton to Alderaan. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Looks. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello, and we're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture stuff, but let's be honest, it's mostly Star Wars, and today we'll be talking about Ahsoka, Part 5, Shadow Warrior, and what it means to be a Jedi. So if you're interested in that, Stick around and consider coming back next time for more. We're doing these reviews every week. We also have quite a substantial back catalog at this point. So be sure to check that out as well if you're interested in our thoughts and what we have to say. All right, Royce, I'm excited to get into Shadow Warrior. Punch it. Okay, Royce, I know I say this every week, but is this the best Star Wars there is? Showing all my cards up front, but come on. Every time an episode of Ahsoka ends, I am like, that's the best Star Wars I've ever seen. And it just keeps getting better every week, in my opinion. Joey, you texted me and you're like, uh, I'm, I'm worried I haven't heard from you after Ahsoka. <laughs> it's been 24 hours. Did, did you like it as much as me? I didn't text you immediately because I knew exactly what your reaction would be, that you probably love this episode. Yeah, sorry if I gave you a heart attack there. But <laughs> I'm with you that this is, I'm loving the ride so far. Best, mm -hmm. I think we can't put that label on it yet because we haven't stuck mm -hmm. the landing, right? So people didn't mm -hmm. like, you know, Phantom Menace. But when you get to Revenge of the Sith, you know, we button up the whole package, right? You go on a whole ride. I think that can weigh into how you are judging the entire thing, right? If you want to be fair about it sort of thing. So ask me again sometime and we'll, <laughs> we'll do our official ratings. But what I will say is this episode was some of the wildest, weirdest Star Wars I think we've gotten in recent memory. To use your terminology from last episode, there was quite a bit of hoo-ha in this <laughs> episode between the flashbacks and the world between worlds and Star Whales. I mean, it doesn't get much more hoo-ha than <laughs> oh, Star Whales. I love it. I love it all. Oh. But I have to, yes. I was here for it. I was here for it. It was a little weird, but I think I'm getting better uh, at accepting that. And kind of maybe if something irks me, like a younger version of me maybe would have been put off by the flashbacks. That's still something very new to Star Wars. A younger mm -hmm. me might have been put off by these space whales because that doesn't really make much sense. But <laughs> it's a lot of fun, right? Yes. I agree that it is a lot of fun. And of course, this is my kind of Star Wars. So it's it's made for me. I'm loving it. I love the weird. I love the hoo-ha. And I really, <laughs> really, really love the way they did these flashbacks. It was set in an entirely different time, space, dimension. It wasn't like going into a, a back to tank and having a revisiting a memory. This was like reliving the memory in a different dimension which I really, really love the way they did this. But speaking of tying it to the prequel trilogy, Phantom Menace to Revenge smooth, of the Sith. Smooth segue here. <laughs> Obviously, last episode ended with us seeing Anakin for the first time in a long time, not counting the Obi-Wan show, which 
I guess we we kind of get in a flashback, right? But so we ended on that last episode. I do want to focus in on specifically Anakin and Ahsoka's journey through this episode. A lot happened in this episode. There's actually a lot that I, a lot more that I wanted. But that being said, a lot happened in this episode. And I want to filter it through our what does it mean to be a Jedi theme. I, I think within the world between world and outside of the world between world, this question came up quite a bit this episode. I really want to focus on the real like meat of Anakin and Ahsoka in the world between worlds. He's come to complete her training. She doesn't think he has anything left to teach her. I love all of that. Once again, you have not watched much of the Clone Wars, right? What is your feel for their relationship, that Anakin-Ahsoka-Master-Padawan relationship? Yeah, I'm feeling that I would have maybe got more from this episode having finished my uh, training in watching all of the Clone Wars. (laughs) I haven't seen enough of it. Like, you know, like, you were born into the canon. I'm merely adopting it. Yes. We obviously know, even if you're a casual viewer and you're not steeped in the canon, like, she's... Anakin's Padawan, and there's a relationship there, right? Whether or not you knew the Clone Wars or not, we at least know that. But we do the flashbacks, and we go to a couple different battles, and I love that Ahsoka herself is like, why are we here? Because us as the audience, we're, we're thinking the same thing. What's the point of the flashbacks? And she doesn't use that same line when we go to the second flashback, but I wanted to ask you this. Are those moments from the Clone Wars, both of those episodes, like the Siege of Mandalore sounds like literally the title of maybe a series of episodes there, like part one and part two, I'm sure. It kind of felt like the significance of those scenes would have worked more if you knew the backstory. The whole time I was wondering, like, what what is going on here? What is Anakin trying to teach Ahsoka? And she even admits, like, I don't understand. Well, you know, that's why you fail. She's doing the kind of Yoda Luke thing, you know? I don't believe it, you know? Like, you got something new to learn, and that's what you're here to learn. I'm not going to tell you. You've got to figure it out on your own. And me (laughs) as an audience member, I'm like, what the hell are we talking about here, Anakin? So I'm like right in her shoes. I I have to admit, I was kind of confused by that. But he does give a lot of these lines of, I'm teaching you how to lead, how to survive, and you're going to have to fight or you'll die. And the whole end of the sequence is Ahsoka says, I'm going to live. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. So I know we're jumping around a little bit. I I think my baseline (laughs) is I'm still confused as to what the purpose was because she just comes back out of it with no direct answer of how she's going to apply this. I need to do more reading into it. I've only watched it twice. And even writing down all the dialogue, I'm like, hmm, I need to read this scripture again to like pull out the meaning here. What are you taking away from it? Or what can you teach me that I've missed, I guess? All right, so there's a lot. You brought up a lot here. So let's start with maybe a meta moment of Anakin saying, I'm here to complete your training, right? Like he's here to complete Ahsoka's training, but Dave Filoni is here to complete your training, Royce, who has not watched The Clone Wars. And I think like we had talked, we talked about a couple episodes ago, this transition from animation to live action that I said I thought was flawless a few episodes ago, or, or seamless even, is now made even more seamless by recreating these moments in live action. Maybe there are some, there's some bit of context that people who haven't seen the animated stuff aren't necessarily going to be privy to, but I do not think that that matters especially in the context of this episode, because we actually get young Anakin, young Ahsoka interacting the way that they did in 
the Clone Wars show, but in live action and on screen. And so in the first flashback, they are on Ryloth. It's one of the first. You could see that the clone troopers are the early clone troopers, the phase one armor, and Ahsoka's very young. And that's when she says, this is the Clone Wars. And he was like, no kidding. And then she says, I don't, uh, what are we doing here? I don't understand. And he says, that's your problem, which is, again, maybe not on purpose meta, but maybe very meta because we always, always, always end up having these conversations. Well, what if the people who are watching haven't watched animation? Well, it doesn't really matter because the show is still good and you can still understand what's happening. If people are being held back by the feeling that they would know more if they had watched the animated stuff, I think that that's when Filoni and Anakin are saying, well, that's your problem. Just relax. Absorb what is happening right now. Like, this is all the information that you need to be able to enjoy this show. Those of us that have watched the animated stuff, maybe it's a little bit more enhanced, but also you don't need it. But also, also, you can go watch it because it's an extremely accessible thing. So the first battle is there are they're on Ryloth. Uh, I don't remember if that's actually something that we see in animation, that specific battle, or in the Clone Wars movie. But the second one is the Siege of Mandalore, which is an arc in the final season. It is the final bit of the Clone Wars show. It's like the last series of episodes where Ahsoka and Rex and her battalion of clone troopers are on Mandalore to defeat Maul. And we see the Mandalorians in this episode with like the spiky helmets. Those are Mandalorians under Darth Maul's rule, because at that point he is ruling Mandalore. And so at that point, Ahsoka is no longer a Jedi. She left the Jedi Order years before and comes back to help them with Mandalore. Anakin's not there and Obi-Wan's not there. She's, it's just her. And then she goes up against Maul, which I, were, I was kind of hoping we would see some Maul maybe a little bit. We know that Sam Witwer's been in the show, been in Ahsoka for a little bit as a voice actor. I was hoping we'd see him maybe a little. Obviously, that would have been a quote-unquote fan service moment, but I would have loved it. So I guess that's the context there. But I really, well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's easy for me to say because I have watched all this stuff that it doesn't feel like you need that backstory, that history to enjoy it because I have it. But also I was just thoroughly enjoying everything that was going on. But it's interesting that you bring up what was Anakin trying to teach Ahsoka. He says like the first thing he says to her is, I'm here to finish your training. She says, looks like you don't have much left to offer. And then he says, I haven't taught you everything yet. And he cuts the floor out from underneath her, right? Two, by the way, another incredible transition in a series of incredible transitions in this episode. Last week, we talked about the transition from the Stonehenge to the ocean to the world between worlds and how beautiful I thought that was in this episode. We had amazing transitions all over the place. I do think this leads into what does it mean to be a Jedi if we try to figure out what Anakin was trying to teach Ahsoka. So when you so you watched it twice, what were you pulling out of it? We have seen Ahsoka the gray. She's been very gray, right? Up until this point. She's been sad. She's been lonely. We know that that ship is her home. A couple, maybe it was in the premiere. Sabine is like, so where's where do you call home these days? And she was like, this ship has everything I need. She has these regrets. She says she abandoned Sabine. She abandoned Anakin. So she's weighed down. Is that all coming into play here? Is that why this even happened in the first place between her and Anakin in the world between worlds? Dude, 
This is so confusing. But uh, let me <laughs> let me start with one with I'll sprinkle some sugar on it. I loved the way that they transitioned into these flashbacks. I thought it was smooth. The voice is different. It's a different actor and you get a green lightsaber and it's only one and you're like, huh, okay, we're cued in, but it's the same perspective of older Ahsoka. And then later she's got the dual blue lightsabers, right? Still different from the white. So I thought that was an interesting device for showing some passage of time through the Clone Wars. As far as this teaching moment here, like it's not as simple as like, I'm here to get you to your next step. You and Sabine aren't working together. Like I didn't always work with my master. Maybe do that. Hugh Yang is already giving that lesson. So obviously that would be maybe redundant or just not as meaty as if that was the lesson from Anakin. It confuses me further that he does this like, I'm here to help you, but also you're getting flashes of evil and you're everything that I am. I am all the Jedi and all of the Sith. And at the end of their duel, she grabs the red lightsaber and like she looks evil for a moment, right? But then Anakin chills out. She throws the lightsaber away. And Anakin's like, yeah, there's hope for you yet, Snips, or whatever he says there. So there's this like whirlwind of you're embracing the dark and you're embracing the light and you are you have to fight even though you don't want to fight. I don't know what I'm supposed to be pulling away from this. <laughs> and obviously she says, why are we here? And Anakin's like, you tell me. This is on us to pull out the meaning from it. And I, I haven't had enough time <laughs> to meditate on what I'm supposed to take away because she he didn't say something as simple as, you need to find Sabine and stick with her next time because she needs you and you need her. That lesson is within the show, but it has not been as clearly stated from anyone except from Hugh Yang. And I kind of just want Hugh Yang to be the mentor because <laughs> I'm really falling in love with him more than anyone on the show. Yeah, I do love Hugh Yang. I do really enjoy that there is not this tell. I mean, I was confused in Empire too. Like, I don't yeah. understand anything that Yoda says. I love you said last week with the Caden the Jarrus quote, like, do or do not, mm -hmm. there is no try. You know what? I don't know what the hell that means. And that's yeah. how I feel about this scene with Anakin, that there's right. a deeper meaning and you got to think about it. You have to think about it. And it does need time. I think a benefit of what we're doing here is taking a day or taking two days before we record, you know, mostly because of our lives, but also it gives us more time to think about the episode and come up with critical thinking on pieces of information in each. The part that confuses me is what we know about the future of the Jedi, which that's the part that confuses me with all of this, because in my mind, this was the greatest we've ever seen Anakin be. This was the epitome of Anakin, the Chosen One. He is trying to show Ahsoka that they had to adapt for the time. He was trained when they were keepers of the peace. He had to train her to be a soldier. He's still very hot-headed and, and is very gung-ho in his very Anakin way, where it's like, you have to fight to survive because that's what he had to do. And he was always trying to fight so that the people he loved could survive. And that is like what living is to Anakin. What I love I think, is that he is trying to teach her to also be more than that, to be more than just the one thing. You're a soldier as I've trained you to be. And Ahsoka even says, like, kind of, this isn't what I've signed up for. When it's young Ahsoka on Ryloth, she's like, this isn't what I said. This isn't what I was trained for. I don't want to be a soldier. I want to be a Jedi. They're supposed to be keepers of the peace, right? That's what we're led to believe. He's teaching her that she needs to fight when 
there needs to be a fight and we're getting up to, you know, whatever war is coming next, whether it's with Thrawn or not. And that she is going to have to make a choice to fight and live or die. And maybe that's some kind of relief for her. But that then again, at the end, that's not all she has to be. She can be a peacekeeper and she can be a warrior, which was always what the Jedi weren't. You couldn't be both things. You had to be one or the other, or you had to be, even when the Jedi were fighting this war, they didn't believe they were warriors. They thought they were keepers of the peace who weren't supposed to get involved in politics. The biggest line of evidence for my point here is that we're seeing him transition from Anakin to Vader. We see it go back and forth. He's got the blue lightsaber, he's got the red lightsaber. We see the greatest live-action lightsaber duel that we've ever seen, in my humble opinion, between him and Ahsoka throughout the whole, you know, it starts with it and it ends with it. But we're seeing him flash between Anakin and Vader in amazing transitions as well. And he even says, you're more than that. When she says, I don't want to be a soldier or something, he says, you're more than that because I'm more than that. And she says, you are. You're more powerful and dangerous than any of us realize. And he says, is that what this is about? Kind of shrugging it off because Anakin has already come to peace with who he was and what he did. I know that's a lot to say. And we always talk about like, quote unquote, Vader's redemption. But he's had time here and he has become one with the force and he has found peace in what he is. And he's telling her, you're more than that because I'm more than that. And I found peace in what happened. And you need to find peace in what happened. And then when they go back into the world between worlds, he's got the red eyes. You're right. She takes his lightsaber, the red one, and then she gets the red eyes. And that's the test that we were talking about last week that all Jedi fail. And she's the one, I think, that we've ever seen that didn't fail. I mean, besides Luke in Return of the Jedi. And it's the same exact scene, almost. Like, she throws the lightsaber away. Luke throws the lightsaber away. She was tested and she passed. And then Anakin takes a step back in a beautiful, thoughtful, paused moment of the show, closes his eyes, takes a breath, and his red eyes are gone, and he's back to Anakin. And the idea that he has found balance, he can be both things. He's got Vader in him. He's got too much Vader in him. He's got Vader in him, and he's got Anakin in him, and he's both things, because that's balance. And I love that for Anakin. Like, this... I love Ahsoka, but this episode made me really, really love Anakin Skywalker again. That he has found his peace, that he has found his place in balance in the Force to where he can like bring it, bring out either side to teach a lesson is incredible to me. That is so cool, so heartwarming, so beautiful. I love that. And I think that that's my long winded version of what I believe the lesson he was trying to teach her is. Wow. I mean, yeah. It's, <laughs> there's a lot there. I, I think part of this is like, Anakin in this era, this like flashback version of Anakin is almost like a new character. Other than seeing him at the end of Return of the Jedi, he's a good guy again. Wonderful. They all live happily ever after. But then to spend some time with that, you know, force ghost or whatever you can call him in the world between worlds, like you said, his new perspective. I think we need to spend more time with Anakin. The more I'm thinking about it, it was so much to take in. I think you're right, though, that there is something when the formal war begins, that some of these lessons will connect more. This is not certainly like she comes out of the world between worlds and she knows what to do next immediately because what Anakin had just said. 
right? This is a lesson that will ripple through the rest of this season and maybe the rest of the series if there's more seasons of this, that there's a war coming. And like you said, she'll have to make some decisions whether to live or die or die for somebody or fight for somebody throughout that. Like Ahsoka says later on, we'll just see where it goes. Yeah, the first thing she says when she comes out of the world between worlds after that lesson, and we see her, she is Ahsoka the White. Ahsoka the Fool, just kidding, Ahsoka the White. One of the first things she says is, I'm afraid. She's talking to Hera about finding Sabine. Hera's like, well, we'll follow them. And Ahsoka's like, I'm afraid, dot, dot, dot. It won't be that simple. There's a legitimate pause, even if you have captions on. It's literally like in ellipses after she says, I'm afraid. So there's still that in there. She's not perfect right now. She's like, didn't come out of the world between worlds knowing exactly what to do and all of these things, like when Gandalf comes back after the Belrog and it's all like, he obviously understands everything and exactly what to do to make things right. And then it takes a little bit to understand that that's not exactly the case, but she's still going through it. She's still interpreting those lessons. And what's interesting, I think, in that scene is she has like the white blanket wrapped around her, but she's still in like, darker colored clothes underneath. She's still making this transition. She's not coming out of it knowing exactly what to do, but she's coming out of it extremely, so much more open. When she walks to the edge, she hears the pergle and she understands that that is their best chance. So she's open to that and taking those chances. And then we see her demeanor completely change. She's calm, cool, collected. She sits back in the chair and she's very much just like, We'll just see where it goes. And I loved that. And I would watch a whole season of them just riding around in the Pergil, seeing where they can go. I love that Hugh Yang is like, it can go anywhere. And she's like, I know. And he just like looks at the camera. Yeah, that, oh, that was most certainly the most fourth wall breaking moment yeah. so far in this series. Yeah, I, uh, I really love this. We talk a lot about how I'm, I'm a sucker for the mystical hoo-ha stuff. But this emotional storytelling and this like lore extraction and seeing what it means to the person who just went through it is such good storytelling. It's so, so, and it really packs a bigger punch for me without necessarily even being very punchy. I guess parts of this episode were extremely punchy, but it just meant a lot. I think it ended up meaning a lot. And I would also love to see more Anakin in this way. I mean, I would love to see him continuing her training or him existing in that realm or being like, quote unquote, ruler of that of the world between worlds, having been the chosen one and found balance like that is such a cool I, that's kind of my headcanon as of now that he's like that he's there as a representation of the force. I love that. Yeah, he's the troll on the bridge that is the world between yeah, yeah. worlds. And if you want to make yeah. your way through it, you've got to answer his questions three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that you're also saying you want to see more of him because I think that would be that would be worthwhile for the audience as well. You're so thoughtful and you're so connected to these characters that it's working really well for you. And it is working well for me when I just suspend all of the other canon. But then when I'm like, it's like I said last week, when I know that Anakin's been de-aged because he's not 19 years old anymore. I'm thinking about something other than the story. And then when we go into those flashbacks, I'm thinking about the fact that I haven't done all my homework in watching the yeah. Clone Wars. So what am I missing? And then I'm missing the point. I would love to spend more time with Anakin so that can make more sense to me. That's just where I am uh, with it. But what did make a lot of sense to me and really resonated with me uh, was not when we were in the world between worlds, but when Jason is sitting on the edge of the Stonehenge looking out in the ocean 
were like hammering on the world between worlds, there was a lot of beautiful moments outside of that as well, cinematography wise and musical wise. Man, I love that Hera and Tiva are trying to team up and like get down to rebel business or a public business. And, you know, here's the kid off screen, you know, mom, mommy, listen, do you hear the waves? There's some sound out there. What a cool idea that like he's using the force to hear things like they're obviously somewhere, you know, they vanished into thin air or whatever Hugh Yang says, or Ahsoka says it, I guess, you know, they're not really there. They're somewhere else, but he's tapping into the force to almost be there in some sense. Right. I love that. And then he asks Hera, like, do you hear it? You hear it too? At first, she's like, what, the waves? And then she closes her eyes. And I don't know, I was going to ask you this. Like, did she hear the lightsabers? I think she did hear the lightsabers. And I think this gets into the second point of what does it mean to be a Jedi? We've been asking it about Sabine and Ahsoka said last episode or two episodes ago, maybe that everyone has access to the force. The force resides in every living thing. Talent is a factor, but anyone can tap into it. And this idea that literally anyone can, and that Hera has spent most of her life with a Jedi, she can hear it as well. Because if anyone was to pay attention and give themselves a chance and patience and space, they could hear it too. And I absolutely loved that scene so much. For so many reasons, including that Hera takes Jason seriously, which is like, I said it on another podcast I was on recently, it's a bit of a tired trope when the adult doesn't take the kid seriously, but she, the best space mom in the galaxy, is right there with her kid. She she holds a hand up to Captain Tiva, you know, her X-Wing pilot, and she says, wait a second, I gotta listen to what my son is saying, you know? I absolutely loved that part. And then, of course, you mentioned it a little bit, we gotta talk about the music. Yeah. Talk about it. I mean, it's the. <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned earlier, like, oh, if Maul shows up, like that would be the biggest, you know, oh, it's a the spoon fed cameo here. What's more of a spoon fed cameo than the. But it's great because we know what that means. Yeah. Beautiful little tapping into the force moment. We know that Jason is the son of a Jedi. And we know that Hera is familiar with that. She shrugs it off at first. If she didn't know that Jason was like in the Jedi heritage, you know, maybe she wouldn't have cared, but she knows that he has that ability. So she respects it, like you said, and actually takes a minute to like meditate with him. And it sounds like it works for her. And we get that beautiful music in the background. There's a little cue. I think you mentioned it before we started recording the similarities maybe to some Clone Wars scores, but there's a little cue that sounds almost like part of Across the Stars which has a lot of similarities to some other, you know, classic John Williams melodies, obviously. They all sort of like meld together if you wanted to make a super cut of all of them. They all all work together. But there's the like, like that's how we were introduced to this moment, which I thought was really interesting of it's Anakin and Clone Wars Mm. era Anakin, which is when that theme shows up in the prequels. This is non-diegetic music, I assume. This is supposed to be for the audience, not for Jason. But in my head canon, like, that's why we're hearing that theme, right? Is because this is that era of Anakin hanging out with Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Who the hell doesn't love that? That's a, such a beautiful score. Yeah. And then it then it goes into our binary sunset, you know, force theme that we're all familiar with. Awesome, man. And I'm glad they put that in here because that's how you use the classic John Williams score. It was there for those kind of epic moments, right? When we have a deeper sort of meaning and connection with the universe. I'm glad we saved it for this moment and not like last week when we were talking about Sabine, like, hey, does she have the force? You know, 
I said maybe if they use the force theme there, that would be your cue. But we didn't do it there. And I got to give you credit, Joey. I, listening back to our episode last week, I think you'd hit the nail on the head with the way that Kiner wrote that melody with Sabine, that it is kind of like teetering up and down and up and down, and you don't know where it falls. Mm. It's not a theme we're familiar with. It's reminiscent of them. But it is sort of like, yeah, I don't know if you have the force or not. So I think that does work perfectly for that. Your analysis was great. A plus on that. Hmm. I said that. Sure did. Boy, I say smart stuff sometimes. It was all good. I love it. Nice. And then after we're done tapping into the force and the force theme, Carson Teva's like, what just happened here? And Hugh Yang is like, he's got abilities. He's a Jedi. His father was a Jedi. Kanan Jarrus. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and Teva does not care one bit. But like Hera, he's like, okay, if you guys say so, I will go along with yeah. it. Carson Teva, also one of my new favorite Star Wars characters. Yeah, I, I've seen and heard people call that exposition, maybe with an unnecessary tone. Your father, Han Solo. Right, exactly. But also, I think it's so different when it's kind of so meta that there is an avatar representing the greater audience on screen. Carson Teva in that moment might be an avatar for the members of the audience who have not seen the animated stuff. So he's like, what the hell's going on? But Hugh Yang is the keeper of all the Jedi knowledge. Yeah. So it works that he said that and not yeah. somebody else. But then Carson does the most casual Star Wars fan thing, I think. And he's just like, all right, whatever. We better get going. And there's moments of that throughout this that I really loved that I think maybe unrecognizably so, but I think do connect with maybe a more casual audience. There's another great Hugh Yang meta moment when he's on the ghost with Hera. There's a wink and a nod when Hera is saying that she did not get permission for this mission. But Hugh Yang says something like, you do things your way because you care. That's why people like you. And then Hera turns, almost looking backwards at the camera and smiles. And in that moment, I was like, yes, that is why we love Hera. That was the most meta moment for me because I watched four seasons of Rebels. I love Hera. Hera and Kanan were the best space parents in the galaxy. That is why we love Hera. I loved that little moment where she kind of almost looks at the camera and then she's right back into it. She's like, Hu Yang, where'd they go? No one just disappears, right? But for a split second, there was a wink and a nod. Oh, Hera's, Hera does things because she cares and that's why we love her. Yes, it is. I didn't read it the same way as you there, but I, I do love that. And I love that sentiment in general because... She was questioning like, well, I'm a general and I'm going against the orders, some general I am. And Hugh Yang reassures her that she's doing the right thing. It's also a little bit of the opposite of what Ahsoka said last episode of we have to do what's right regardless of our personal feelings. I think one thing to come out of this is that Ahsoka is much more open after this lesson from Anakin in the world between worlds. So she might not necessarily agree with some of the wisdom that she's imparted in the past. But I do think that there's a little bit of a juxtaposition there between both of those sentiments where Hera was doing what she believed to be the right thing to do because of the personal connections and her personal feelings. Whereas Ahsoka, because she's distanced herself from people, abandoned Sabine, you know, walked away from people, doesn't necessarily feel that way. Maybe until she comes out of the world between worlds, which I also love. Let's end on these wonderful space whales that I love and maybe you still need to be sold on a little bit. I don't know. I'm still trying to get your vibe from the beginning of, uh, of our episode uh, here. You can count but, on me. Uh, I loved... <laughs> 
I just love seeing the pergil, and I think they looked awesome, man. Even we're we're now up close, we're in them. I love the noises that they make. The what's it called? Melodic, melodic rumbling, the melodic <laughs> rumblings of space whales. I think they're awesome. And this is when we see Ahsoka smiling to go out on the ship in her new white. Everything's white now. Her her armor's white. The, her cloak is white. She goes out on board and she communes with the pergil which is also just another amazing thing to see happen in live-action Star Wars. I'm not sure we've ever seen it aside from Rise of Skywalker when Rey talks to that snake thing. But I love seeing Jedi commune with animals. It was so cool to see. Grogu in the Rancor, maybe? Yeah, I love that. What did you think of that? Because you have seen Rebels, so you are familiar with these. I have seen all of Rebels for whatever yeah. points that wins me in the Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> fandom. Uh, my first instinct in, in the other episode when they're flying through the Purgle was like, did they really need 50 of the Purgle? And it's like, mm. no, we don't need 50. We need 50,000 Purgle. So many Purgle. <laughs> I travel in pods. I cannot believe that they're like, the best kept secret in the Star Wars galaxy. There's so many of them, but no one's ever been to this planet, I guess. So there, there's yeah. obviously a reason for that. I think she didn't commune with them one bit. You could make the case either way, but she just kind of gave a warm welcome and it opened its mouth. I don't think she was, hey, can you help me find my friend Ezra? Because as she admits to Hugh Yang, I don't know where we're going. Sure. I don't know if this is going to work. And she's just blindly trusting the faith which has been kind of a recurring theme through some of this as well. Her going outside of the ship, thats uh, this has been really fun that she's gone outside of the ship in space and then here in the atmosphere to talk to the Purgle. This is kind of a fun, different sort of moment in Star Wars. And take her right in, right into the mouth of the Purgle. It's so, so silly, right? I could see yeah. this turning a lot of people off. Like I said, a younger me would have probably thought this was goofy as heck, but it was fun. And it was really sweet hearing Hera tell this story back to Jason, or I guess she's already yeah. told Jason about the the story, right? And so like you said, oh, you've seen Rebels, so you know, but they also just did a little bit of expository dialogue there to catch, yeah. catch the viewers up, which I thought was nice because Jason has this connection to the Force. We assume that the Purgle are Force sensitive. So it tied a lot of that stuff together, right? And I love Tiva doing the... Uh, he's You're not going to believe me. He's trying to stall right at first. He does the kind of like, yeah. uh, situation normal here. Just, uh, you know, halt your pursuit. And they're like, tell us what's really going on. Yeah, you're not going to believe me. So good. I love Carson Tiva. And I love that we cut away back to the action. And then when we finally cut back and he's like, there's space whales that are going to jump through hyperspace, you know, so good. But then yeah. all of a sudden they all appear in front of the spaceships, right? So even if you were like, this is so silly, you got to see it through the New Republic officer's eyes that are also writing off the whole thing. Maybe yep. not believing Carson Tiva's story, right? But then all of a sudden you see them, the pod coming for you. And I love that. Immediately, the New Republic officers are like, all right, let's get out of the way. This is happening. Just like Tiva did with Hera earlier. Like, okay, they got some Jedi okay. premonition. Let's go along with it. So that was yep. such a great way to frame that too. If you thought that the space whales were the goofiest thing ever, well, we have an archetype in the show that probably thought that too. So that, yep. that really did work for me. And they blast off at the end of the episode and you're like, okay, maybe they're going to find Ezra, maybe not. They've got to find Ezra though, because that was the, yeah. the Purgle nowhere to go. Yeah, I do love, I mean, a Jedi forming a relationship with nature, animals, stuff like that. Oh, and Ahsoka's Tales of the Jedi. That's how she becomes a Jedi, right? As she talks with that oh, yeah, large with cat the tiger or whatever, thing. right? But really good. And again, like just seeing that version of Ahsoka, just like comfortable, relaxed. You're right. She doesn't tell them where they need to go. And that comes up 
She's like, I have no idea where they're going. And Hugh Yang's like, what? Uh, it's better than going nowhere. And I do think like entering the Purgle's mouth, probably just easier than trying to figure out how to wrap their tentacles around the ship like they did in Rebels. I did think that it was a bit silly at first, but then I thought, well, it's much easier to do this than it probably would have looked sillier if the whales wrap their tentacles around the ship and then blast off. It was very volumey, the whale mouth and the teeth and stuff like they cut to the inside of the ship when it would be obvious that it's not just a flat screen. And then they cut back to the outside of the ship when they're in the mouth. So there was a little bit of volume play there, I think. But just super cool, I think. I mean, I love the Purgle. They're just so cool. And I love when Jedi commune with them. And at the end, after that bit with Jason and Hera, and Hera tells Ahsoka that it looks like they're getting ready to jump, the music is triumphant. The Purgle are getting ready to jump into hyperspace. I was like, this could be the end of the season, and I'd be happy. It was so climactic and so, like, triumphant. And Hera says, may the Force be with you, and they jump away. And I got chills so many times throughout this episode, including this scene, and my first thought was, if this were the season one finale, I'd be so happy with it. This would be fine. It was a great kind of Star Trek-y ending, you know? Where are we going next, Captain? Like, we're going to boldly go where no one's gone before. Yes, great ending, but also what a great episode of the show. Like I said at the beginning, it just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. I cannot wait for next week. I cannot wait to see where they take this. I wouldn't complain if they're like star hopping for a little bit with these whales. That's how into it I am. I'm so excited that this is the Star Wars we're getting. I just, I can't convey that enough, my level of excitement. What if though, next week, there's no Ahsoka. It's Mando. In the Ahsoka <laughs> show. Because we, did, we didn't get Sabine or Balin. And I love Balin, man. Give me my Balin. He was in the, the preview, but he wasn't in the episode. No Morgan, no Shin, no, nothing with the bad guys. I, I wonder if next week will be the other side of the coin that we catch up with them. And then episode seven, you know, we reunite for the two-part kind of season finale when everybody finally meets up. I don't know. Are you okay with an episode away? Is that what you want? Uh, you're you're going to bring the room down here because I'm going to say something controversial. I would be fine with them taking an episode away from Ahsoka because I think we're having too many conversations about the name of the shows. You could call it Chicken Soup for all I care. I don't, I don't care what it's called. I... Love that it's about Ahsoka, and I do think that having an episode with Balin and Shin and Sabine without Ahsoka still fits within the show of Ahsoka. It's still the characters who were in the show. It's still their journeys. Very different than Mando working his way into the Book of Boba Fett, because it's just kind of out of nowhere. But I'd be completely fine with, with catching up with them, especially after having such an amazing episode focusing on Ahsoka like this one. Right. I agree. I think it would work that they weren't in this episode. So they should, of course, have a lot of screen time in the next episode, if not all yep. about them. We'll probably Balance. be okay with it. I didn't even mean to to bring it up because of the title of the show, just simply the way that they've told the story so far. But yeah, I'm on board with you as long as they keep the uh, the story moving forward. I think it'll be fun either way. But I would love to hear what everybody listening is thinking. How did you feel about all the Anakin flashbacks? Confused or in love? Confused or enthused? How about that? 
<laughs> Love it. Are you resonating with the melodic rumbling of the Purgle? What do you think is happening next? Are we going to take an episode away from Ahsoka? We'd love to hear you down in the comments. Let's get a conversation going. Hit us up wherever you like to social media and make sure to subscribe for more conversations about Ahsoka, Star Wars, and other nerdy pop culture stuff. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. I've been Royce. I've been Kanan Jarrus. And we've been Krypton, Krypton to Purgos, man.